Amazon America was never that great. Cuomo, that's my new nickname for him. He is under fire from liberals over his tax cuts, massive tax breaks that he has given to Amazon to move to New York City. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, after they explained to her what Amazon is, just kidding, she's, she criticized Cuomo, quote, the idea that Amazon will receive hundreds of millions in tax breaks when our subway is crumbling and our communities need more investment is extremely concerning to residents. Now, I love it when liberals get attacked, when liberals implement conservative policies because they're good and healthy for the economy, and then they get attacked by other liberals. You know, Governor Cuomo knows, Amazon Cuomo knows that giving out more food stamps and expanding Medicaid is not going to boost the economy. Classic liberal philosophies are not going to do anything except destroy the economy. So when it comes time to practically boost the economy, because Cuomo wants to run for president in a couple of years, as we know, they have to implement conservative policies, and then they get attacked by their fellow liberals. Now, as a friend of mine points out, New York is not losing money. We mentioned $48,000 per in tax in tax breaks per Amazon employee. But if you do the math, that money was, was never in our pockets to begin with. In other words, Amazon is moving and they, they are supposed to owe a certain amount of taxes, right? Uh, based on all sorts of different factors of their business. So Cuomo is telling them he'll cut a lot of those taxes if they move here. So it's a net gain. If they don't come here, they're not paying any taxes. There's no loss here. It's not like there's money here that we can use to fix the subways. But oh, by the way, we're handing it to Amazon. If Amazon doesn't come, New York's not going to get any of that tax revenue. By attracting Amazon here, uh, Cuomo is, is figures that there's going to be a major net gain. Now, look, you have to be an economist to work out if the details are all true, if they work out or not. But the, but the concept is very clear. It's a net gain for taxpayers, not a loss. Now, the beauty of this all is that conservative policies are good for the economy, liberal policies, redistribution of wealth, giving out all this free money, all these free social programs, and, and having no way to pay for it, essentially Ponzi schemes. They do not help the economy. And you know the biggest proof? President Trump. President Trump is not an ideologue. He was never somebody who looked at, you know, conservative principles and felt, you know, that his, that's his ideology. No, 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 no. He's a very pragmatic person. He's a business person. It's all about boosting the economy, which is why, by the way, on certain areas, he disagrees with conservatives, including tariffs. Now, we can debate that. We have at other times. But whatever your point, whatever, you know, your, your side of the argument is, the bottom line is Trump approaches things through a perspective of, is this going to benefit the economy? Is this going to help Americans make more money? And virtually every time he comes out with the conservative platform, with the conservative ideology. So that's the proof that conservatism works. Now, what would happen? I believe conservatism is good because it's good to give people the freedom to hang on to their money. It motivates them to work hard. And most people are good people and they will you know, help out their fellow man, you know, but it doesn't have to be imposed and forced by the government. What would happen if that would not help the economy? I don't know. It'd be an interesting debate. To me, it's a win-win. Conservatism is the right thing to do from a moral perspective, and it also benefits the country. All right, speaking of which, the federal government in October collected record tax revenue yet again. $252 billion in tax revenue collected in October. That is a record. That's the first month of fiscal 2019. Now, you would think that would help cut the budget deficit, right? No, no, no. Even though there's a record tax collection, 
the government still ran a deficit of $100 billion for the month of October. $100 billion deficit despite collecting record taxes because it spent $353 billion. So it's not the Trump tax cuts that are causing the budget deficit, but it's the spending, the out-of-control spending. And now the Democrats are in control of the House. Certainly not going to get better, probably going to get worse. Okay, Trump's legal team here in this fight with CNN says if he wanted, if Trump wanted, he could block the entire fleet of White House correspondents. He could kick them all out of the White House. And you know what? I believe he's 100% right. Constitutionally, they have no right to be in the White House if he doesn't want them there, especially if they're disruptive like Jim Acosta. Now, here's what's interesting. U.S. District Judge Timothy Kelly, he's, uh, he's the one who has this case. Uh, he's actually a Trump appointee. He says that he's going to issue a ruling Today, Thursday. Now, what's amazing is that the president has every right, as we said, to kick out whatever reporter he wants, at, at least as long as he has a good reason. There's a debate. What if he just does it arbitrarily? You know, there's a previous court ruling that says he can't do it arbitrarily. He has a very good reason here. Jim Acosta was clearly disruptive. Well, Trump was also disruptive. Well, Trump's allowed to be disruptive. He's, he's you know, I'm not saying that I condone or defend what he did, but he, he, he nobody could kick him out of the White House, which is his house, and he is the president for being disruptive. Whereas if you're a guest like Jim Acosta, you can be kicked out. But amazingly, CNN has like another 50 reporters press passes that they're allowed, you know, that, that, that who are allowed into the White House. In other words, CNN has 50 employees who are allowed into the White House. And as far as I'm aware, Trump has said that any other CNN reporter who wants to come in and take over for Acosta is welcome to do it. So the notion that Trump is somehow doing this as revenge on CNN, not that I'm necessarily opposed to that either, the way CNN has treated Trump and all the biased ne negative reporting, and yes, even some fake stories about President Trump, but that's not what he's doing at all. And by the way, if this is because of Jim Acosta's bias, why did Trump wait? Jim Acosta's been biased forever. Trump has had issues with him since the campaign, and he waited until the day of or the day after this press conference where Jim Acosta clearly was out of line, refused to give up the microphone. Other people were waiting. Trump said, that's it. Your time is up. He, Trump gave him more time and more answers than he actually gave other reporters. So this clearly has nothing to do with his bias. This is because he's disruptive and you can't run a White House that way. And journalists see they're part of this big club. You know, Even Fox News, I'm very disappointed, and many other news outlets have sided here with CNN, with Jim Acosta, you know, because it's incredible how the thin skin they have when the tables are turned. See, they can go and attack President Trump personally and attack all the people surrounding him. I mean, they can make their lives miserable. Poor Brett Kavanaugh and his family and his teenage girls and preteen girls, the, the suffering that they went through, the torture, the torment that they went through as a result of the media, all that's okay, you know, but then when the tables are flipped, and then when suddenly they're on the other side and they're the ones getting attacked, then they take it so personally they have thin skin actually suing the White House. I mean, you really cannot make this stuff up. You know, they say, well, Trump made the White House a circus. Uh, whether you agree or disagree with that, he has every right to. He's the president. You cannot equate yourself to him just because you're some journalist, you know. Now, meanwhile, they, uh, I believe that they should just stop press briefings altogether. We're going to see if the judge grants this injunction, which would allow Acosta. I predict the judge 
will uphold uh, Acosta's being banned from the White House. Let's see. But if they do let Acosta back in the White House, I think that uh, the White House should just stop press briefings altogether. I really don't believe that that's going to interfere with the American people's freedom, freedom of the press or any of that other stuff. I believe we'll get the information that we need. Trump tweets it out. There are many other channels these days, many other uh, ways that President Trump and the White House uh, can speak to the public if they want. All right, get ready for yet another talk about government shutdown here. Coming December 7th, if they don't have a new budget in place, parts of the government will shut down. They need to approve a budget. Now, this is interesting because it's a lame duck, Republican-controlled Congress, of course, before the Democrats take over. That means that this is their last chance. This is clearly Trump's last chance at getting funding for a border wall. So this is going to be a very interesting showdown here because will the Republicans give President Trump his border wall, which they clearly have refused to do these last couple of years. If they don't do that, will Trump veto it, as he's promised to do multiple times, but he has failed to do, uh, being that this is his last chance. I Meanwhile, Chuck Schumer says, quote, we believe if President Trump stays out of the appropriations process, we can have a good bipartisan, bipartisan agreement and the government can smoothly move forward. Translation, Chuck Schumer saying, Trump, stay out of it. You know why? Because he knows that even Republicans are not so into funding the border wall. They've made that very, very abundantly clear. So Schumer, Schumer's basically saying to Trump, listen, Democrats and Republicans, we both like to spend on all sorts of programs. So we have no problem agreeing to that. The only issue, the only sticking point is the border wall. Well, we agree with that too because most Republicans don't want to fund the border wall. So just leave, stay, you stay out of this. Leave the budgeting to us and just sign whatever we send you. So this is going to be fascinating to keep an eye on. Okay, the DOJ has ruled that Matthew Whitaker's appointment as acting AG is legal, is constitutional. Now, this has nothing to do with the issue of recusal from Mueller. This is a separate issue. His previous post where he was the chief of staff for Jeff Sessions, he did not need Senate approval for that. So there's been some de legal debate whether or not Whitaker can become the AG. The AG is te technically needs to be approved by the Senate, but not the in interim AG, which is the acting AG, which is what he is now. So therefore, that's the debate is can the acting attorney general take that assume office, even though he has not uh, had Senate approval and the DOJ says he can't. However, as far as the recusal discussion, because he actually has an opinion about Bob Mueller, uh, that still, it seems, has not been decided. We've told you our feelings about that. Now, uh, uh, Cola points out, Lisa Page, Peter Strzok, Andrew McCabe, and so many others, so biased at the FBI, you know, clear, we know their biases from their text messages, from their personal messages. We know exactly how they felt about Trump, how they felt about Hillary, and yet they were literally leading. I mean, you would think, as somebody pointed out, that Peter Strzok was like one of the seven employees in the entire FBI. The amount of things that he was involved in there Hillary, regarding Hillary and Trump, despite him having enormous biases. Anyway, the argument was, well, yes, he's biased. Everybody's biased. He's human. But he put his biases aside when he was investigating. Sure, he coincidentally helped exonerate Hillary even before she was interviewed. And he coincidentally came down very hard on President Trump. But all that, that has nothing to do with his personal beliefs, right? And how about the Democrats in Congress who are now going to be investigating Trump, conducting all sorts of investigations against Trump, Adam Schiff, you know, and all these others, Elijah Cummings, Jerry Nadler. We know they have massive biases against Trump, and yet they get to conduct these investigations. So the double standard here is outrageous. Nobody's accusing for them, calling for them to recuse themselves. 
Okay, speaking of the House, there may be an insurgency building here against Nancy Pelosi. There are Democrats who claim that they have a letter signed by 17 Democrat Congress people, Democrats in the House, uh, against Nancy Pelosi, saying that they will not vote for Nancy Pelosi as Speaker. Now, here's where this gets interesting. Technically, she needs 218 votes in order to be approved as the next Speaker of the House. She needs 218 votes. That's the majority of Congress. It's not just the majority of the Democrat of the Democrat uh, caucus in the House. She actually needs 218 votes because she's Speaker of the entire House. Now, that 218 number can be somewhat flexible. Sometimes they can uh, vote present or they can be absent from the vote. And that can reduce the number a little bit. But either way, uh, the Democrats hold about 230 seats right now. So if there are 17, and nobody's really seen this letter, but if there are 17 opposed, then she wouldn't get the 218. Now, that doesn't mean anybody else would get the 218 either, which, of course, could uh, get very interesting here. Uh, at, you know, seeing who challenges, if anybody uh, actually challenges Nancy Pelosi, you know, and uh, the two other names that are being floated, Steny Hoyer and Jim Clyburn, both from Maryland. They're also very tight with Nancy Pelosi. They're also leaders, senior members of the House. All three of them, by the way, are in their late 70s, you know. So again, nobody's sitting here and saying, Nancy Pelosi, she's the best person, the most qualified leader to defeat President Trump here in 2020 and to defeat the Republicans. They're saying, listen, she's been around a long time, so we owe it to her. And again, that puts the Republicans here in a very good position. We're going to keep an eye on all of that. Meanwhile, turning to the Senate, Jeff Flake, of all people, lame duck Jeff Flake, who, of course, has had many, many disputes and disagreements with Trump, he tried to push a vote for a bill protecting Bob Mueller from being fired. Of course, this has been floated in the Senate for a very long time. There are certain senators out there, including Republican Jeff Flake, who want to uh, pass a bill preventing Trump from being able legally to fire Mueller. It's not even so simple constitutionally that that's even permitted, even if they do pass that bill, that it would hold up. But either way, McConnell actually blocked the bill. So, you know, and amazingly, Jeff Flake and others say that uh, they, they could get 60 votes, that they could get bipartisan support if McConnell would allow it to go for a vote. He's, of course, the Senate Majority Leader. They say it would pass. It would pass with over 60 votes, uh, a bill preventing Trump from being able to fire Mueller. So think about it. How incredible is that, that we can finally get 60 votes in the Senate? It's unheard of. We can't get them to agree about anything, and they finally would agree about this. This, this is, we finally get them to agree about a bill. And what's the bill? It's this absurd bill uh, trying to strip away from Trump the ability to fire Bob Mueller, who, of course, technically works for President Trump, works for the DOJ. Okay, the rate of uninsured people is actually down. I'm talking about health insurance here. The, the number of uh, people who do not have health insurance in the first six months of 2018 is down from 2019. This is despite repeated claims that President Trump is trying to sabotage Obamacare. In fact, in many ways, you know, President Trump is doing his best to keep it afloat, you know, ironically, not because he's a fan of Obamacare, but because he's stuck with it now. So, of course, he wants to make uh, health care as cheap as possible, as accessible as possible, and and to improve the quality of health care, which is severely diminished under Obama. Meanwhile, there are some states that are preventing people from accessing President Trump's cheaper alternative plans. President Trump has these alternative plans that are not technically part of the Obamacare marketplace using this loophole of short-term plans. They've been very beneficial. They give people a great option. They don't cover as much, but they're way, way, way cheaper. 
And yet states like Washington, D.C., California, and others are actually trying to prevent uh, them from being accessible, these plans from being accessible in their states because they don't want to lose funding for the marketplace because then that's going to drive up premiums for the lower income people. All right. Uh, the migrant caravan, as it's still on its journey, the first members of the caravan have actually reached the border. They're actually at Tijuana. This is interesting because there's still many who are far behind, but 200 members of the migrant caravan got off a bus in Tijuana. Now, I'm guessing clearly they had help. Clearly, they were driven either by bus, by car, whatever, however, whatever, however they access transportation. 200 members have gotten there, and they were actually seen climbing the wall, some of them, and sitting on. There is a fence separating Tijuana from San Diego, and of course, there's a reason that they're at San Diego, not in Texas, which is where a lot of the troops were sent by President Trump, because San Diego, California, of course, is a sanctuary state. So San Diego is, a, you know, probably a sanctuary city, or who knows, they'll let them in. They'll have these very, very lenient rules. So you got the first 200 members of this caravan have reached Tijuana. Now the rest are actually 1,100 miles away. They're the ones, I guess, who weren't able to catch the bus. Now the question is going to be, what are these first 200 going to do? Are they going to wait? Are they going to seek asylum? What's Trump's response going to be? We'll wait and see as it all unfolds. That's going to do it for today. I hope everybody has a wonderful Shabbos, and we will see you next time.